Good morning, Red Hills. It's good to see you. You know, this happens every time when I'm a guest somewhere. The, the pulpit's always too high for me. So uh, I'm going to move it down if that's okay. Can you can all see me now? This is, this is good. It's okay. I'm used to it. I'm used to it, but this is good. Pastor Aaron, he was eight years old then when I started pastoring the church I'm in right now. That, that's a bit remarkable to me. Uh, he said he didn't want to make me feel old. I don't know if he succeeded, but... Uh, <laughs> But there it is. There it is. It's so good to be with you again. I really love this church. Um, I have a history with this church. It's so great. And I love pastors Aaron and Brianne and their family. And so you guys are blessed in this community. And listen, thanks for being a church that gives time for pastors to get away, to rest, to recharge. You know, that, that is so unique and even unusual today. So I want to thank you. I really want to thank you for being that kind of church. And we want to say to Aaron and Brianne, hey, rest well. We need you. This church needs you, and this community needs you. So we want them to rest well. Can you guys say amen to that? Yeah, we want that to happen. We really do. Here's what we're going to do this morning. If you'd pull out your Bible, if you have your Bible this morning, if you don't, we have the scripture on the overhead. You can also pull out your uh, Jesus for Everyone, your bulletin here. You can pull that out. And uh, if you want to, if you're a note taker, you can do that. Uh, I have never really been a note taker. My wife's the note taker, so I coattail on her intellect and knowledge most of the time. And, uh, and yet there's times that, that God just wants to really speak to us, take some time and speak to us. And for us on Sunday morning, that seems to be a good time for God to just speak into our lives. And so this morning, would you do this with me? Let's pray and let's ask God's presence just to touch our lives. Father, we want to thank you today. We want to thank you for your presence and all that you're doing, even in the chaos and the confusions that we go through of, of the days and, and the weeks and the months. We know that, that you're there and that you're present. We just pray for Aaron and Brienne and the family that there would be rest, much rest in their life. Thank you for giving us your grace. You're amazing to us. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Well, today we're going to look in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. That's Luke 7, 36 through 50. I, I've labeled or titled this message, Jesus for Everyone. After I did that, I had to ask that honest question, do I really believe it? Do I really believe that Jesus is for everyone? Or is that just something that we say as church people? And the longer we've been around, we just nod our head and say, yeah, that, that's a good thing to say. The question is, is, do we really believe it? Because if we really believe it, it takes us to some places that we might not ever imagine we would go. Because what God does is he puts us in these places that can be kind of uncomfortable. When we believe that Jesus is for everyone, there are things that happen in our lives that would never happen otherwise. That's the salvation of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus would that none should perish, perish but through repentance they come to everlasting life. They come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So do I truly believe that Jesus Christ is for everyone? If I do, why do I fear? Why am I afraid of the things that are going on today? Why am I afraid of people's 
different political propositions or why I'm afraid of what might come tomorrow. If I believe Jesus is for everyone, then he's for me as well and that he's going to take care of me, that he's going to watch over my life, that he'll watch over your life. And what I hope happens today is you have that assurance when you leave this place. A few months ago, I had someone come to me and say, yeah, Jesus is for everyone, but there's more. And I responded to him and I said, no, there isn't. There really isn't anymore. Jesus is the main thing. Jesus is the center of our life. Jesus is why we are here. That's the, that's the statement that we make. That's our proclamation that Jesus is for everyone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I love what Proverbs 3, 21 through 26 says. It says, my son, my daughter, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament of grace to your neck. And then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. And when you lie down, you, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep shall be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Listen, Jesus for everyone is not a question mark. It is an exclamation mark. And so this is where it's leading me today. We're going to look at the, 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 the scripture today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. And in spite of all the chaos and complications and controversies, what we can say is there is a mission that has been given to us. And the question that I'm asking myself now is, am I staying on point? Is the mission critical to my life? Or am I being distracted by everything that's going on around me? Because the critical mission is go and make disciples of all people, of all nations. And when we do that, God's going to intervene. God's going to bless. You see, Jesus had a theme all through his life on this planet. Jesus reached out and he touched the least, the last, and the lost. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come for those that call themselves righteous. I came for sinners. And I've, I've come to call them to repentance. That's what he says he does for us. Listen, when we're following Jesus Christ, we're going to find ourselves in places that, again, that might be a bit uncomfortable. I went to Nigeria several years ago and I had a great experience there, did some mission work, and that we were headed out of the Lagos, Nigerian airport. And as we were headed out, the missionaries and some pastors got together, pray a blessing over our travels home. And so while I was standing there in this small group holding hands, I just happened to look up, and I saw a man on a prayer board kneeling and facing to the east. He was Muslim, and it was during the season of Ramadan. Now, there are safer places you should probably go when Ramadan is the holy, high holy place or high holy feast. Nigeria isn't one of them, but that's where we found ourselves. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He said this. He said, go and pray with that man. And I thought to myself, that's crazy. And you know what happened? My feet started moving to the man that was on the prayer board while my head was arguing with my feet, saying, don't do this. This is really, really dangerous. And at that moment, I thought of the scripture, how lovely are the feet of those that bring good news. 
And, and so I, I went over and I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, sir, I noticed that you're a man of prayer. Can I, can I pray with you? And he, he looked up at me and he moved over on this little tiny prayer board and he tapped it, indicating that I could kneel with him. And so I, I knelt down next to him and I said, sir, can I pray to my Lord Jesus? Can I, can I pray to him? And he said, yes. And I said, how can I pray for you? And he touched his heart and he started to cry. And I said, I'm going to pray for your heart. So I prayed a prayer of salvation. Jesus, the Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. No exceptions. If I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, I will be saved. When I was done praying, I just a simple amen. And he turned and, and he started hugging me and kissing me. I'm not used to that. And, you know, we, we Americans, we need a little bit more of a buffer space, you know. But he didn't care. He just started hugging me and kissing me. And I, and I got up and I started to walk away. And I looked back over my shoulder and he was looking at me. And the Lord just said, you'll see him again. And I, and I thought, first thing I thought was, I'm not coming here again, I don't think. <laughs> and then I went, oh, oh, he is going to be in heaven. You see, there are people that you're going to cross paths with, maybe even when you leave this building, that you're going to look at and the Lord's going to say, go to them. And your feet might start moving, but your head is telling you a different story. You see, Jesus is for everyone. And this is where our story picks up today with a prostitute that Jesus loves. In Luke chapter 7 and verses 36 through 50, we're introduced to a prostitute. We don't really know much about her. We don't know her name. We don't know the details of her life. What we do know is we do know some things about prostitution. In fact, the Bible tells us about prostitution. It's mentioned 76 times. The Bible says that it's immoral. It's mentioned in Leviticus chapter 19 and 1 Corinthians 6. Prostitutes are, are actually listed to be people who followed John the Baptist and they repented. And maybe you already know this, but two prostitutes are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Tamar and Rahab in Hebrews chapter 11. You see, one thing that we recognize is the sex trade is one of the largest money-making enterprises in the world. In fact, this last Super Bowl Sunday, which is the highest grossing money-maker of all time, is the sex trade on Super Bowl Sunday that just in Miami alone... $250 million come in per year for that industry. The average age a girl gets caught up in the sex trade is 13 years old, and today it includes boys as well. It's one of the deadliest professions in the world. Average workers, um, 3.5 people experience death out of 100,000. In the prostitution industry or sex industry, it's 204 people per every 100,000. And the reason I'm saying that is it's something that we need to be aware of, especially when we're reading about somebody that Jesus loves. It's maybe good for us to know a little bit about what they experience, what they go through. And this would certainly be part of this woman's story, I'm sure. It's something that we need to continue to look at and pray over. My wife and I have joined an organization called rescuefreedom.org. 
And if you want to do something that helps others, helps both young men and women, this is a great organization. My wife got involved about five or six years ago, and what they do is amazing. What they do is they, they, they train all year long to take these epic hikes, and people sponsor them, and the money that they gain from the sponsorship goes to build safe houses for young men and women who are caught in sex trafficking. It's just a place that they can come and be rescued and find peace for their soul. And so she does all these amazing climbs. She is a monster when it comes to climbing mountains. People say, do you climb mountains? I said, no, 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 no. I'm her... Uh, her caddy, you know, I just go along and carry her luggage, but she does, and it's, it's really amazing. And, and for us to be able to get in and to be able to see and be part of a solution, that's what the gospel has called us to do, is to be part of a solution. And we see Jesus doing that here in this encounter with this prostitute. Our story today, it's really interesting because it's Jesus and a prostitute in the home of a Pharisee. Now you want to talk about tension, there's tension. You want to talk about people feeling uncomfortable, I'm certain it happened right here. The Pharisee's name is uh, Simon and uh, both he and the prostitute are drawn together and they're drawn around the same person. They're coming to hear Jesus Christ. It's stories like these that make me love Jesus even more. It's a story that has three scenes to it, and that's what we'll unpack here. There are three scenes to this passage of Scripture, three encounters with three people, and the first scene is the Pharisee and the prostitute. So if you're taking notes, you can just label it scene one, and that is the Pharisee and the prostitute, and it reads like this, beginning at verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in the town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, <clears throat> she began to weep. And she wiped his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. And she kissed them. And she poured perfume on them. You know, we aren't sure why Jesus was invited. One of the things that we do know is Pharisees were always and constantly trying to entrap Jesus in theological conversations, political debates. I have a, a suspicion that that's no different here, that Simon is inviting Jesus into his house so they can cross-examine the great teacher. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was normal at that time, but it was something they would do inviting guests that were kind of celebrities of the day. So Jesus was invited into this home. And some of you may ask, well, what was a prostitute doing there? Well, this is kind of the custom during that time. Jewish custom is that if you had a guest come to your home of status like Jesus, then you would sit in kind of a courtyard, and the neighbors could come, and they could stand out on the edges, and they could listen to what was going on. This is how the prostitute ended up in this place. What is something that is amazing here is it's a sinner being drawn to Jesus. It says here, a sinful life. You can put that in quotes if you want to. Back then, it meant you were a prostitute. It's kind of like using the phrase today, a lady of the night. 
When you said a sinner's life, they were speaking of a prostitute. And you couldn't get two more different people in the room than Simon and this woman. In the Talmud, if you study a little bit of Jewish history, it's the book that kind of gives them all the laws and takes the Ten Commandments and breaks it down into 5,000 commandments. So you can imagine what it's like to wade through that. But for a woman to even let her hair down in front of another man was grounds for divorce by her husband. So this Pharisee would have seen her touching Jesus as a sexual advance. And with all the odds against her, you have to ask the question, why in the world did she do that? Wasn't her life already complicated? Wasn't it already difficult? And now she's going to even make it more complicated? Well, when you read this story, I think there are a few reasons why she came into the same space as Jesus did. First of all, because Jesus was there. She wanted to be with Jesus. Maybe she was one of those that followed Jesus around from a distance and she heard Jesus preach. And then what might have caught her attention is when Jesus said these words, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, there was a promise extended here through this passage of Scripture that both the sinner and the saint heard in this story. And I think there's another reason she was probably there in the presence of Jesus. She wanted to know what it was like to experience real love. Because I'm sure those relationships that she had in the past, there wasn't real love. She was being used. She was being abused. We don't know the depth of her brokenness. But I, I found a quote by a prostitute. I want to read it to you. It says, prostitutes have very improperly been styled as women of pleasure. They're not. They are women of pain, of sorrow, of grief and continual repentance, always, always wanting to get out, but can never get out. So you have Jesus loving a prostitute. Now, you go to the second scene here. It's the Pharisee and Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verse 39 through 47. <laughs> Follow along. Listen, listen to how this goes. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, <clears throat> that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, uh, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the ability to pay the money back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? You see, I, I came into your house, and, and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't even put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. This is kind of an ironic twist that takes place in this story. The Pharisee is thinking that if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know that this woman was a prostitute. Instead, Jesus being the prophet calls out the Pharisee and not the prostitute. Oh, what a two-edged sword we live on when we judge. He's caught. See, Simon was stumbling through this whole encounter with Jesus. There's a few things you notice in this story. One is that he mistook an act of devotion that was worship and repentance. He took it as a sexual advance. You see, Simon, he missed everyone that was going on in the room. He misread everyone in that room because he thought that Jesus was not a prophet. The woman didn't belong in the room with Jesus. And he thought that he was the smartest guy in the room. That's a dangerous place for anyone to be. To ever think that we're the smartest people in the room. Because we always have things to, to learn. And here, Simon is looking over everything. I mean, overlooking everything. You see, when you view life through lens, the lens of legalism, everyone and everything that you see is distorted. See, this is one of the reasons that Jesus showed up. He showed up not only to free us from the bondage of sin, but he showed up so we would have our eyes open in a relationship with God and that it's not about religion. The Talmud, again, is the Bible of legalism. It's thousands of laws made up by the Pharisees to legislate morality. And here's the sad thing. Here's the sad thing. The Institute of the Pharisees actually had the moral, they had the legal, and they had the financial ability to help people. This was a, a wealthy institute. They had everything they needed that they could help people who were actually in trouble, to help those who were in need, like this prostitute. But instead, what do they do? They choose to judge. They choose to belittle those that violate the law the laws that they actually made up. Have you ever played a, a game with someone who's actually making up the rules as you go? You know how, how frustrating that is? That is so frustrating and you'll never win because the person, your opponent, is making up the rules. And so I wonder sometimes, and maybe you've thought about this before, does it feel that way for an unbeliever when they look into church life? Do they feel like we just keep making up rules so they can't really get there? I've wondered about that. I thought about how difficult that would be. You see, I've received grace abundantly. And now my responsibility is to give grace. But it's so interesting because my soul, my heart is selfish. And so when I am given grace, I just want to hold on to it for myself. 
when I've been given salvation, I just want to keep it for myself. And you know how I, I express that? I make up new rules so no one else can get it. You know, they have to live a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, or you're not getting in. It becomes maybe more of a club. You see, I'm sure, I'm sure that if there's salvation that comes to a Pharisee, and we see that in Scripture, their heart is open and they want to give and continually give. It's interesting, the same Simon here, and Simon means one who hears. That, that's what his name means. <laughs> and there are three things about Simon that we get from the words of Jesus. Number one, he lacked hospitality. Please know that hospitality is a huge door that opens for people to know Jesus Christ. Hospitality is a wonderful gift, especially if you're thirsty, especially if you're hungry. Hospitality is a beautiful thing. In the, in the Middle Eastern culture or protocol, it was important that feet were washed, that you kiss both cheeks, and that you give your guest a scent of olive oil. That's just the way that you treated every guest that came into your house. The one thing here with that sin of olive oil is the blessing of the host to the ones who are guests. They mark them or touch them with oil and say, you are welcomed in this house and you're honored in this home. Simon did none of these things for Jesus. Something else that you see here is his heart was judgmental. You know, religion is probably the world's biggest blind spot when it comes to people knowing their need for God. What's happening here is something sacred is going on. The Holy Spirit is moving. I mean, if we were going to pray for revival, <laughs> and we should, if we were going to pray for sinners to be saved, this would be the picture you might have in mind, is when they came into the presence of Jesus, they just broke down and started weeping and repenting and crying this is a sacred moment. And the Pharisee, the religious one, overlooks it. He doesn't see it. He doesn't know what's going on. He just talks right over the top of what's happening. You see, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give those around us is that we listen. And we listen to what people are saying. What's on their heart? What are the struggles? What are the hardships that they're going through? Here's something else that had to do with Simon in this. His sin was invisible. Her sin was outward, a sin of passion. His sin was inward, it was a sin of pride. Hers, a sin of the flesh. His, a sin of the spirit. Hers was overt, his was covert. You see, in Western evangelicalism, we have socially accepted sins that we might cover up a little bit. Greed might be one of them. Gossip might be another. Another might be gluttony. These are things that we've somehow fashioned to make them acceptable. What Simon saw, and when he saw this woman, it insulted him. But what Jesus said should have convicted him. And then there's the last scene, and I love this. Scene three, Jesus and the prostitute. It says this in verse 48, 
And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who's even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I read this and I love Jesus. He wasn't put off by her reputation, her past, or by the way others judged her. He wasn't put off. I love Jesus. He wasn't threatened or afraid of her sexuality. He forgives her. And I wonder today if we walk with the heart of Jesus to touch people and to see lives transformed. That when people are sexually broken, that they experience love from us, care from us. My nephew came out about two years ago and he came out on Facebook and we just happened to have a family gathering about three weeks later and he was there and I loved this kid and I was just hugging on him and sat next to him and I said, buddy, how are you doing? And he goes, I'm doing okay. I said, what did you experience when you came out? And he said, well, I was a little shocked. I, I, I was defriended by a lot of my Christian friends. And I said, I'm sorry. That, that just hurts. That's painful. I said, you know Jesus loves you. You know I love you. And I said to him, I said, you know, there's pain that you can give to him. And sometimes we think by coming out, that's just going to solve all the problems. But there's other things that I know Jesus wants to deal with in your life as he wants to deal with in my life. Would you let him do that? Would you be open to just letting Jesus come and touch you and bring his love to you? And he was crying. He said, yeah. And I was hugging him. I said, go in Jesus' name. And I know Jesus is going to continue to work on that boy's life. See, he was dealing with someone who wasn't afraid of someone who was sexually broken. I think that we can walk into people's lives and we can bring the gentleness and the truth of Jesus Christ. It's amazing in this story. Others were angry at the promise of forgiveness. She was hungry to be forgiven. The religious people heard this and they were incensed. And she was joyful. The others were disgusted. She was delighted. The love she never knew through a, a multitude of encounters, she finds in just one single encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus can do. God has one great big eraser. Her sins were forgiven. I love Jesus. Simon grew up in church and had theological training, but didn't know anything about God's grace. You see, I think the worst sin is self-righteousness. And, and I think there's a reason why. It's because self-righteousness is an affront to the cross of Jesus Christ. Self-righteousness is saying, I can do this. I can make it. I can attain salvation. And that's a slap in the face of Jesus on the cross. 
This woman spent a few minutes in the presence of Jesus Christ and she knew more about God's grace than probably most believers. And I got to tell you, when I was reading this story, I had to get down on my knees and say, Lord, I want to know your grace like she knew your grace. I need to know your grace like this. The body of Christ needs to know your grace like this. I want to know that kind of grace. Jesus, help me, please. Jesus, help us, please. I want to leave you with three quick takeaways, and we'll wrap it up here. Three takeaways. Number one, everyone sins. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether much sin or little sin, either way, we have no ability to take care of that sin meaning we're all in debt because we've all sinned. The second thing here is Jesus is for everyone. Can you just say amen to that? Because I mean, just put an exclamation mark on that. This woman knew two things. She was a great sinner, and second, Jesus was a great Savior. Church people, please don't overlook the broken in your world. Ask God to give you a sensitivity, a heart for those that are broken. And then the third thing here is God's word is absolutely true. <laughs> Jesus Christ died for everyone, even while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Romans chapter 5 says, even when I was afar off, he came after me. He pursued me when I was his enemy. He came after me. And today... That aggressive salvation, that radical salvation is still for everyone. And then we ask the question, do we believe this? Believing is the difference between life and death. Do I believe that Jesus is for everyone? Do I believe that salvation is for me? Would you just, just bow your heads for a moment? I'm going to invite our keyboardists up if they would mind coming up here. And we're going to just wrap up our time together here and... Just thanking the Lord for what he's done for us. And if, if you're one that has experienced God's amazing grace, continue to, to soak it in. And don't, don't take it for granted. When we say Jesus for everyone, that means for me as well. But for the friends that are around you, Jesus for everyone. For your coworkers, Jesus for everyone. For your peers, whether a college, university, wherever you might be, Jesus is for everyone. And today, if, um, if you have a hunger for Jesus to save you, to be in your life, I'm just going to invite you. The Bible just says, call on the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Whether you're in this room or online, that you would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that all of us just pray this simple prayer. And if you've said this before, that's okay. We're going to just say it again. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. Thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sins and come and make my heart your home.
today I confess with my mouth. Today I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Yeah, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you've ever prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, just lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I don't want to, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to make sure you know somebody knows <laughs> and somebody will pray with you. Someone will pray for you. If you're online and you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, welcome to the kingdom of Jesus Christ because he loves you and he cares for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to just finish by just asking those, and probably more might be online than present, who have been offended by the church, hurt by the church. It happens. And I think if there was ever a time it could really happen, it's probably been in this last year. It's been a crazy time. And I think people have said things they wish they hadn't said. They've offended others, wish they hadn't offended others, or been offended, and, and don't want to live a life of offense. If that's happened, forgive those that offended you in Jesus' name and live a life of forgiveness. The church is going to keep doing better, working hard. And if there's a community that you want to be part of, and if you're not a part of this community, lean in. This church community, lean in and see what God does. He's amazing. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen.